question? Was horror poetry something you were into writing when you were a kid, or did that start when you came to see horror? Well, I mean, I feel like I feel like most of us, like when we're younger, get in that like, oh, I'm super emo at angsty stage, and I'm gonna write poetry, and it's great. So yeah, I was definitely, oh my god, I was the biggest cliche version of that that you could, <laughs> whatever's in your head is what I was. Um, but I, my family's really big into horror. Like Halloween is our Christmas, and like we have like a Wytovich scare war that's been happening since like I care to remember. I was like traumatized with horror when I was little. Like I hated Halloween because it, like that's how we were. So even though I had that, there was always this element of like monsters and madmen that would kind of slip and you know, get involved in my writing. But then when I came to see Helen at Mike, and he was like, this is what you're reading, this is what you're doing. <laughs> this is, you know, how we're gonna rock this. And you know, I read some of his stuff, and then it started to become more present. But it was always kind of there, maybe not front, <laughs> maybe not front and center. <laughs> but it was there. Mm -hmm. Yeah? So you said you've done a lot with psychology Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. So like, Hysteria is my book that's all, like, that's really focusing on madness. And it's, it is extremely boring, don't get me wrong. <laughs> so just because people are going crazy, doesn't mean body parts aren't falling off and things aren't coming out of places they shouldn't. But like, to me, I, I feel like when I came into college, I could have majored in so many different things. And I am fascinated with psychology. I'm fascinated with anatomy. If I could have become a doctor, if I had the skills to do it, I would have. I can't do math, I'm terrible at science, it's not, it's just not my <laughs> I can't, I physically can't do it. So being passionate about something, I wanted to bring it into my writing. Because if I couldn't do it hands-on, I wanted to explore it in my craft and in my art. But I'm the type of person where if, if I don't know exactly what's happening, like I I need to be there front and center. I need to watch it. I need to experience it. I, I want to be as hands-on as I can. So madness and psychology and how the mental affects the physical and vice versa, um, body horror in general is my favorite. I love it. So in order for me to do this and immerse myself in it, short of like going and studying and going to med school, I started traveling around the country and staying and spending the night at asylums. Um, and so I went to Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. I spent the night there twice. Um, and I wrote, I would just go into different cells and I would write and I would ask questions of the tour guys. I should interject, this is an abandoned. Oh, yeah. it's abandoned. <laughs> yeah, this is abandoned. She's not checking in as an insane no, not, not yet, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, so these are, <laughs> yeah, so these are abandoned places. And I did uh, like paranormal investigation tours, like I did various, like, historical paranormal and then I would just go there and write and study like they have a museum there too so I would study and work with their archives and then I went to Moundsville prison and I did the same thing and I wrote um, in their psychiatric ward I laid down in the hydrotherapy tub and wrote poetry there and, and the cool thing again about that is about that whole like branding and social media and blogging thing is like the experience of writing that is a cool story in addition to the actual book that I'm trying to sell so gaining excitement and being like, hey guys, I'm checked in here, or I'm doing this, or oh look, I'm in a hydrotherapy tub. Like that was, like it was instrumental to my writing career. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm really interested in. I'm not like that is the stuff that interests me, finding horror in the reality and getting as hands on with it as I can. Yes. Me? Yeah. Oh. Yes. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, yeah, that might be true of like insane asylums, but what about the body horror stuff? How do you research that? Where it's grotesque, splatter, I like I when I was writing a scene in uh, in grad school I um oh man like I I mean the female the female body can be a really scary thing <laughs> speaking as a woman and I was watching different like pregnancy stuff and like things like that and there was like a there was a short time frame where I was like I'm out like I don't I didn't want to write this anymore so like I mean I try to read like I try to find stuff as most as I like researching the anatomy, going on, like, um, a lot of, like, I feel like a lot of what I write is more interested in, like, the antique medical practices, not necessarily things that are happening, you know, contemporary or, like, in the here and now. Um, so I would go back and try to find articles. I'd go to the library. I'd get, you know, get Grey's Anatomy, sit down, take notes. Um, I went to the body exhibit in, um, in Las Vegas, and I went, and I just, I mean, I wrote stuff down. I wrote, I took, well, I took pictures, even though I wasn't supposed to. And then again, I wrote poetry and stuff while I was there. So again, I try to get as hands-on as I can with it. Um, and I have, I have friends who are morticians and who work in the funerary industry. And again, like if I have a question about something, I'm not afraid to ask it. So if I know one, like one of my friends is an OBGYN, so when I'm working on stuff, I will call her up and ask her and say, is this possible? Can this actually happen? Um, because I think when you're writing something, as soon as it starts getting fictitious, you lose your readers. You want them to be able to be like, oh my god, this, maybe, maybe this could happen, even if it's a little bit, you know, stretched you know, for the story. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm not afraid to go up and ask people scary, creepy questions. Mostly because I feel like if I laugh and smile, they're like, okay, she's safe, it's okay. So, so most people are more than willing to, you know, to give you, um, give you the answers that you're looking for. Um, so for the eighth, um, in particular, my novel, um, it's very body work, but it's like I said, it has that like Dante's Inferno. I'm working through some Catholic things, um, possession, like um, things to that nature. So like The Exorcist was huge, uh, Rosemary's Baby. Um, my favorite, um, but I would also, um, possession films in general, I, I pretty much, like, I went through Netflix and added every possession movie I could find. I went to the library, like, the people, that poor librarian is in South Park, she thinks I'm nuts, but, like, <laughs> the stuff that I was taking out from the library, like, I was reading, um, books on, like, actually how exorcisms are performed and like real life cases of exorcism and I was reading The Demonologist by Evan Lorraine Warren and then just watching all of these movies and the thing about that is they're all the same all of them they are all the same. you watch one you've seen not I mean mostly you've pretty much seen them all but it's it's interesting because you want to do that because you want to see what is being repeated so you don't do it <laughs> or you invert it or you find another way to do it um, so yeah, so I pretty much watched every scary thing that like prevented me from sleeping for like a solid two and a half years. <laughs> and then um, with Hysteria, I did like Session 9, um, it was a huge influence, uh, Stonehurst Asylum, um, John Carpenter's Award. Um, and again, it's, I mean, if you type in like asylum movies, they just spurt out and then, you know, again, it's the same thing, just, you know, um, it's a little bit different um, approach and topic, but the same thing that I did. Um, with the eighth. Yeah. Uh, 
when Chris asked this question. I think if you do any job, you have to watch the movies in that job. Mm -hmm. and she's not just talking about these marginalized, weirdo movies that yeah. nobody watches, except freaks. Uh, Waving that flag on <laughs> <out of> it. <laughs> you know, Halloween movie is the yeah. time when everybody can watch a horror movie. And I don't know. But, mm -hmm. uh, the point is, though, I think it's important to underscore other genres exist, and everybody, every genre has its own kind of film yes. repertoire that readers of that genre know instantly. So, you know. And kind of to piggyback on that, something that I was really, um, I mean, I had to do it for a lot of reasons. I started taking grad classes when I was an undergrad. Um, and so I had taken all the horror classes already before I even went to grad school. And um, when I got there, I mean, I could have easily kept taking horror classes and kept, you know, reimmersing myself in it. But that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to read outside the genre to see how other genres could influence my writing. So I took a romance class, and I took a fantasy class, and I took science fiction. Um, and like I, I grew up reading thrillers, so I already felt that I had some type of standing for that. But I think it's really, I, I don't even want to say important, I think it's necessary that you read outside of what you're writing, because you don't want to get stuck in this loop. You want to see, like, I mean, it was the same thing with Brothel. Mike and I went back and forth about me writing Brothel for years. <laughs> and I, I was so, I wanted to show romance and I wanted to show you know that element and bring it to horror because it was something that I was really interested in um, you know it was it was a bold move for sure but it was something that I wanted to do so I think reading outside your genre and just experiencing other art in general is, is essential to your craft yes you talk about the idea of madness. What's more fun for you as a writer? Like exploring a character's psychology and using madness as a way just to figure out the audience? Um, I'm, I, I would probably say with the character, doing the yes. character development. Because, you know, jump scares are fun. I love grossing, I love grossing people out, don't get me wrong. Um, and it's fun to do that. But for me, it's always about the bigger picture. I like watching the descent. I like somebody being like, oh look, here's this wonderful person and there's nothing wrong with them and they're going to go into this setting to like try to better themselves and then just ruining their lives and making it horrible, like making it get worse. So you can see that arc of survival and strength and empowerment that puts them through the end. So it's definitely character development is, is where I like to play for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was going to say, um, how is your like, writing process different from poetry to prose? Yeah. So my poetry process is crazy. People tell me I'm not about it all the time. Um, so when I write poetry, all of my books are in alphabetical order. Um, because <laughs> I, know, I know, I know, it is what it is. So, so when I write poetry, um, I'm really interested in the creative process. And for me, in order to write, I write the alphabet and I come up with titles first, and I write five titles for every letter of the alphabet. And then I start to sit there and I look at it and I think, and I, you know, I play with the arc of the story, and it helps me develop my characters that way. And then I could be like, okay, we're gonna start out slow, we're gonna arc here, we're gonna get more violent here, we're gonna kinda tone it down, bring it back up, so it helps me plan the arc. And then I go ahead and I write the poems. And I don't necessarily write the poems in, alph like, in alphabetical order. Um, but I have, that's pretty much how I plot my poetry collections. Fiction is completely different. I'm a very slow writer when it comes to fiction. I have a hard time writing fiction. 
and it's very intimidating to me. And so when I sit down to write a short story or work on a novel, I usually plot out the scene, and in order for me to do it, I write a poem first. I write the poem version of that scene, and then I feel like, oh, I've conquered it. This is like some type of loophole. I lie to myself a lot when I write, and then I can go in and I can write, you know, write that scene or write that portion of the um, of the story. So, po I mean, poetry always comes first, no matter if I'm doing that or if I'm writing fiction. Is it true you think of always the book first, and then you're writing poems to feed into a book? It's mm -hmm. not just poem for poem's sake. I mean, sometimes, like it's. I mean, of course, like I'll just sit down and be like, oh, I had this thought, and I'll write a poem. Um, but usually, usually the book idea, or like the emotion or the theme that I want to write about comes first, and then I build that way. Yes? Um, so, I don't know where you're from, like, where are you from? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm from a really small town, uh, Scenery Hill. In, like, Yeah, in Vienna. Um, yeah, so my question is, because, like, you can't see Vienna, and, like, work that girl, why don't you go to that event at WCSU? So, yeah, so I, um, so, um, the MFA director of their program was on campus, and um, because I was the MFA rep, I was the one that was walking him around, and we were chatting and talking, and he was Carl. asking Carl. at Carl, yeah. And um, so I was introducing him to people on campus and kind of being like the tour guide type of um, person there. And we got we got to chatting, and he was asking me about my writing and what I did, and what, you know what I was doing at the university. Um, and very simply, I mean, networking, I, I told him, you know, what my background was in writing. I told him about my degrees, where I went to school, um, what I was teaching, what I've taught. And it wasn't like he offered me a job right then and there, but we kept in touch. And when he found that I was looking for other work, he um, approached me and offered me the position. Um, because their program is a speculative writing and they were looking for someone um, to, you know, mentor and teach uh, horror, science fiction, and fantasy. Um, and he knew that was my background, and that I had taught, you know, before, and I've had experience with being online, being at Seton Hill, um, so it was a good fit, and it just kind of happened that way. So do you, do you still go there to teach? I teach primarily online with them. Um, I, I, if I want to go there and teach residency, I can. My schedule doesn't really permit it um, at this point, um, but I think in the future it's going to end up I'm, I'm trying to push it to end up that way, but for right now, I'm primarily teaching online with them. <laughs> yes? How does social media affect your writing? Because the internet can be a very dark place. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yes, it can. Social media is terrifying sometimes. I had, oh my gosh, I actually, my sophomore year here, um, I've always been writing about dark and scary things. It's not something that just randomly happened. Um, my blog had to get shut down and reopened at Seton Hill because of some lovely people that were commenting and trying to, you know, like engage. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's scary. Um, I, it's something that I kind of just had to learn to deal with. Like, you you don't really know how to deal with something like that until it presents itself to you. I don't engage if people um, if people message me, if people email me, if people are commenting on my blog. Like I'll either get rid of it immediately. I don't engage with them. Um, there have been a couple times where I've had to block people, um, but.
but for the most part, I, yeah, it's, I mean, it, everybody's going to react to it differently. I have friends who, who love and welcome, <laughs> welcome that when it happens. For me, that's just not, that's not my, my style or how I like to do business because, you know, I'm, I'm here as a professional. If somebody's going to try to engage on an unprofessional level, I don't want anything to do with them. Um, so I prevent them from, you know, from doing that. But it can, it can get can get dark and scary. And that's not just for horror, too. I know plenty of other writers in different genres um, that, you know, fandom can be extreme. There are different places that you can go um, that maybe, you know, people can find you when you're a writer um, and they, you know, they can locate you. So it's important to kind of, um, you know, like I said, like do things to your comfort level. And if it makes you uncomfortable, just don't, don't engage with it and get rid of it. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess this is, I'll keep it your chance. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Do <laughs> sure. you think it's worse for female writers yeah. than male writers? Yeah, I do. Um, and it's, you know, and again, like, I can't, I can't really speak for other genres. I know that it happens in them, but, like, my experience, like, writing in the horror genre, it's, um, you know, it's, it's a very male-dominated genre. Um, and that's not to say that women aren't doing it too, because they are, and I've seen it, and I've watched it happen, and I've watched the repercussions from it. But um, it is it is difficult, and it was one of the reasons that I struggled writing brothel for as many years as I did, because um, you know, to me, and what it is is it's a piece of fiction. But sometimes it's it's hard to not get stereotyped into that, or people to see that as an invitation to say or do or approach you with certain things that aren't professional or appropriate on any level, whether it's creative or not. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. My experience yeah. uh, is that it's wise to be connected to a group of writing, a writing, writing group, mm-hmm. uh, to have people out there writing your back. Sometimes there are even crazy writers oh, God. Um, <laughs> yes. that the other writers know about it like you can say, I just got this strange message. Somebody's asking me for the international rights of my book. Should I be excited or not? No, it's a scam. I'm trying to yeah. So being connected in a network of people you trust is crucial. I would say especially if you're a female writer. Yes. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. Um, pretty much everything that I do and have done in my career, I think I've read my mic at some point <laughs> or another. Um, but it's I mean, like, I have, when I go to conferences, like, I work with the same people pretty much every time. There's always this, like there's always a Seton Hill group, you know, everywhere that I go, and you know I have friends inside the genre that, you know, kind of like if things are getting uncomfortable, well, even if they're getting uncomfortable professionally, if somebody's like hounding you for a book or they they want you to sign a contract right then and there, it's nice to have people that can kind of come in and negate that you trust and that have been in the business longer than you and can give you solid advice. Because I got into a situation two years ago where. Would I have signed with these, this company or would I have signed with this project if I would have known things down the line? Probably not, but I didn't know any better at that point. And there was no way to kind of know things that, that were going to happen. So it was just, it's a learning experience. Um, but being involved in the community and net- networking is crucial as a writer. You need to have people that have your back that can give you advice and kind of shuffle you along and show you the ropes. And that's why having a mentor is, I think, absolutely necessary as a writer or as an artist in general for that matter. Yes? You had mentioned when you were in the asylum that you sat in the the tub of poetry. Did you get into that um, mode? Mm -hmm. So 
yep. um, which can be really emotionally draining. Yes. Um, and <laughs> love writing can really be emotionally draining, no matter the genre. Mm -hmm. um, how do you, um, you know, recoup from that emotional drain? How do you, <coughs> you have to stress? <laughs> it's, it's interesting because I feel like, I mean, writing to me is, is always very cathartic. Um, so even though it, it's extremely draining, there is this kind of like when I finish a book, like this weight is off of my chest type of deal. Um, but usually after I finish, I mean, I, I take a break. I have to take a break and kind of walk away from my computer for a while. Um, that's not to say that I'm not necessarily writing, but I'm not writing what like, I might be making scribbles and taking like, oh, I had a dream, I want to write this down, or maybe this is a future project, but usually, like, I need some, some me time to decompress from it, um, especially, like, the last, the book that I just finished a couple weeks ago um, was probably the hardest book that I've ever had to write, um, and I think I'm, I might take a break from poetry in general for a while after that and just focus on some fiction, um, but it, it is, like, I, I never want to take too long of a break because I don't ever want to fall out of like that momentum or you know that that connection that I have with the craft. Um, but I think that's where writing things like um, like for instance, um, while I was working on this last book, it was it got really heavy to a point where I was like, I might actually need to take take a step back now. And so I went and I worked on some nonfiction and I I wrote um, you know some criticism pieces about Stranger Things and. You know, I was working on some stuff with David Cronenberg and some stuff about the Hannibal series. And like, so I'm still writing, but I'm just in a different mindset. And I'm still working in my genre and I'm still producing work, but it's just not, like my heart's not on the page. Like, it's, it's a way to take a break without taking a break, if that makes sense. That question came from when I was snooping. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. I've been researching you. Yeah. And I have read somewhere about you said that you Sleepless nights. Oh gosh, yeah. I'm it's hard to turn that off. off. It's it's and very difficult. Away from it, and that, you know, and, and it is emotionally great, but yeah. it's great that you keep <laughs> writing and just switch Yeah, and that's I mean, especially like the insomnia thing is sometimes it's really great because I'm super productive when I have insomnia. <laughs> Watch a ton of movies, read a ton of books. Um, but you know, the next it, it it's hard having insomnia being a writer. And then having to clock into a full-time job. Like, that is when it gets draining, when there is no break. So a lot of times on the weekend, I'm just, like, crashed in a corner in my apartment, <laughs> holding, a mug of coffee, holding a mug of coffee and watching something scary. Um, but it is, I mean, I try to, no matter, no matter how bad things get or how difficult they get, there's always, I, I, I put off like I'm a super pessimistic person, but I'm not. And so I can find something good in all of the, the bad that's happening and then, inform my heart with it. So. Did that answer your question? Okay. <laughs> somebody who hasn't asked the question Yes. Um, well, on your website, you say that you consider like, writing poetry and fiction to be about survival. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for me, when I started, so when I was younger, um, my, my, I mean, my family kind of has a little bit of a, a, a dark past. To kind of, but we, we've been through some stuff. And um, when I was little, I was um, I was in therapy for it, and I hated talking to people. Like I really, 
really hated, which is super funny considering I'm a professor now. <laughs> but anyways, um, and so my therapist essentially was like, you know, if, if you're uncomfortable talking to me, if you're uncomfortable talking to your family, if you're uncomfortable talking to anyone, why don't you put it on the page and why don't you start journaling and kind of have the conversation with yourself? And I still wasn't super crazy about that. Um, and so, like, the more that it went on, he was like, well, why don't you start fiction, like, if you can't talk, why don't you write characters that can talk about this? And I was like, that I'm, on, that I'm with you. I can handle that. And that was kind of how I started writing poetry. And then that was kind of how I continued to write, write stories. And, um, and I never stopped. And it's always kind of been about that element of survival and empowerment. Like horror, I think it's a bad rap because everybody thinks it's just madness and gore, and you got the the psycho running through the woods killing people who are having sex, and like that's not what, like that's not what it is about. Like the idea of horror is to survive, is to come out stronger than whatever is trying to attack you. Um, and so even you know as a kid, on some level, like I was dealing with a very real version of that. It it ended up becoming something that I wanted to constantly focus on and a message that I wanted to put in all my books for people that were dealing with something similar. Um, and I mean, it's to some level, it's in everything I write. I mean, I write about it, you know, nonfiction too, poetry is medicine, poetry is catharsis, just writing in general as a type of like way to kind of handle reality and handle life. Um, but yeah, I mean, it definitely is spurred from me just being a super stubborn child who didn't want to talk about anything, <laughs> and then it led into the writing career. So. Mm -hmm. What's the book that just came out? Is it Writer's Own Writing? Yeah, Writer's Own Writing, Volume 4. You have an article about that. I do, yeah, and I talk about it. Um, so Crystal Lake Publishing asked me, because I've kind of like, over the years have been talking about that, but haven't really like been as blunt and forthcoming and honest about it um, as I have lately. Um, so they asked me to write, um, for writers I'm writing about poetry um, as catharsis in medicine. And ironically, so I, the, the name of the article is Blunt Force Trauma, How to Write Killer Poetry. Um, and that piece, so. Yes. <laughs> That's right. I did my research. <laughs> Someone else? So I, so I didn't realize coming into grad school, and this, this is on me. Like I have nobody to blame for this myself. So like the first, like when you meet your first mentor, you're supposed to go in with like a pitch for your novel, and I had no idea that that's what you were supposed to do. So like I rolled in ten minutes late and like sat down with my mentor, and he was like, "All right, super serious. Like let's let's talk about your book." And I was like, "Well, I want to write a horror novel." And he's like. Okay, like that's why I'm your mentor because I write horror. Like, what do you want your book to be about? And I was like, I don't know. A haunted house, maybe some girl will be pregnant, she'll have some issues, people will come after her. And he's like, that's not how this works. Like, at all. Who's your thesis advisor? Scott Johnson. So, I, I mean, I had no idea right off the bat what I wanted to do. And that was like my first kind of like shake up that, like, people don't just sit down at a computer and just spurt stuff out. Like that's not, I mean they do, but like not an MFA program for grad school, like that wasn't gonna be acceptable. So I had to really sit down and think about some of the themes and topics that I wanted to write about. And to some extent that is what my book is. 
that half-ass pitch is kind of true. Um, but it is um, greatly informed by my trip to Italy and seeing Dante's um, grave and reading the Inferno in undergrad and multiple, multiple, multiple times after that. Um, and I based it on the concept of the seven deadly sins. Have you guys watched the movie Seven? That some people have watched that on repeat for two and a half years. <laughs> so, I mean, I, um, yeah, so like the idea of, um, so like there's body horror in the female sense. You have a female character who is not your typical, like, I'm in a white flowing dress and I'm a virgin and everybody wants to come after me like you normally see in horror. You have a, you have a girl who's greatly damaged and who isn't running away from the bad guy, but is rather accepting it. So it's showing a different arc of horror than what you usually get, because females are so often portrayed as victims, and I wanted to do the complete opposite of that, not happening. So I, my female character is actually, um, she's very strong, and she pretty much throws up her middle finger and says, I'm going to do things in a very different way. And she brings in the seven deadly sins. And my, um, my, my protagonist is a demon, who um, is a soul collector who's supposed to go after and take her soul and bring her down to hell. And Ray's not having any of that. And he is the one that kind of like has, has a little bit of a pause. He falls in love with her and he falls in lust with her. And then he falls in love, but he has to deal with regret and treason and his own place in hell. Whereas she's like, he's focusing on like, overcoming sin and she's focusing on accepting it and so there's this dichotomy of what is sin should it be embraced should it not be and with these like you know with catholic um undertones um and then again with the circles of hell and then i kind of built it like a fantasy world like hell is a small part of the underworld and as the series progresses like you're going to kind of go out and venture into those other places um, but I mean, the Inferno was without a doubt the main thing that intrigued me about it. Did, that was a great explanation. <laughs> People should be excited to read it. But is that how you pitched it, or has it changed since you pitched it? Because like, um, you had mentioned you, you pitched this one. Yeah, no, I, I, I focused more. Explain what that is to people who don't know. So basically, like, if you're going to pitch your story, you're expected to have like an elevator pitch, which is like a short, like, two sentence pitch that you can give to somebody in the elevator if you meet them. And then you have like the one page summary, then you have like the three page like book proposal type thing. So it gets bigger. Um, but pitch sessions are essentially that elevator pitch. And you go and you sign up, or at least at conferences, how it worked when I did it. Um, you sign up with the publishers that you're interested in. And then you walk in and you sit at different tables and you pitch it and they ask you questions. And you're kind of like on spotlight. Um, and that either they'll either ask for like a partial, you know, um, example of your manuscript. They'll ask for the full, um, and then that's kind of how that process goes. But when I pitch the Eighth Dark Regions, I mean, Payment is pretty much my main character. Rhea kind of, she's not right now. In the future, she will be. Um, but I focus primarily on him and his journey through hell. Mm -hmm. Yes. I was gonna ask if you could meet one writer. <laughs> no, I think so. Like, man, so like, cliche answer. Like, I'm obsessed with Poe. Like, there's like, I have four ravens tattooed on me. Like, I love Edgar. I love my dog's name is Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> um, so like, 
and he like you know I, I think so you're like, no, you're <laughs> so, like, I don't know like I would probably have to go with that because I the more that like because like I've taught Poe like I've read him like I wrote poetry based on like we battled Poe poetry like the more that I learned about him the more fascinating the study he is because he's very unpredictable and like he didn't do anything normal like nothing in his life was normal and like some of these psychological things that I like to write about you know he was one of the pioneers for doing psychological horror and he kind of started it when everybody thought he was crazy for doing it and everybody judged him for it I think the Raven sold like for seven dollars um, so I mean he he was kind of like he was the first man to kind of like dig what I <laughs> what I'm doing so like if I had to go in the past I would probably say Poe um, Currently, if I could meet anybody, it would be Clive Barker. Um, Jack Ketchum and, and Clive Barker are pretty much like two of my biggest influences in the horror genre. Um, Jack Ketchum, because his stuff is like overly violent and gory, but in a very like way where his books have very humane messages to them. Like he's writing about very like taboo, difficult subjects, but he's doing it in such a way that he's almost preaching love and like conformity in a way so like that I think being able to do that is a serious talent and he does it very well and Clive Barker as an artist I, I, I got into Clive Barker first as an artist um, but he's like the master of body horror and the things that he does are just oh my god they're repulsive and beautiful in like ways that they shouldn't be <laughs> and he's he's pretty much he's probably my my idol when it comes to to writing so if I could somehow meet him one day, I could probably die right on the spot of happiness and be fine with it. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I actually, you know, it, it's funny, like, I read, when I was in grad school, so for about, like, three years, I read nothing but horror. Like, that was all, like, all right, this is focus and study time. Because I was, bit, like, when I came into the program, I was like, man, my family's, like, the Adams family. Like, this is what we do. This is what we've done forever. And I knew nothing. Like, I knew nothing when I came into that program. I was so far behind everyone else that, like, my life had to go on pause for three years to do nothing but read and watch movies and study. Um, but outside of that, now that I've had like, and I'm still doing it, just not as much. I am really interested. Um, I'm really interested in the beat movement, um, and I, I love um, I love the poetry that came out of the beat movement. So I've been reading. I've been kind of like focusing a lot um, on those writers right now. Like I love Kerouac. I love Bukowski. I love Allen Ginsberg. Like I know cliche, cliche, whatever. But like that's kind of where I'm like bobbing and weaving right now. Um, but like I, I do like I like reading a lot of I've been I try to read like a certain amount of classics every year. I use, like on Goodreads they have that like you can do a book challenge, and for a long time I was trying to read a book a week, and then that became really easy unfortunately, <laughs> and so now I try to read 100 books a year, and I try to do that with graphic novels and poetry, and I try to read a little bit of everything. So once I get my horror fix, then I move on and I try to read in romance and classics and literary and kind of get some feedback from other genres to see how they inform. But I'm definitely living in the beat world right now. It's totally, it's totally worth that. <laughs> so, 
My all-time favorite horror story is not a horror story. Um, can be a horror story. But Charlotte Perkins Gilman's The Yellow Wallpaper is my all-time favorite. Yeah, and I can tell by the size that people are fans, so I'm kind of like, what's up? I can't do it that well. <laughs> but um, no, I um, especially because a lot of what I do with writing is to kind of flip that stereotype that the female is victim in horror. Um, I try to do some type of feminist overtone in everything I write. Obviously, that book is huge, um, starting second wave, first second wave feminism. Um, it deals with madness. You have a strong female character who's questioning everything. It's all psychologically based, very atmospheric. It is everything that I want in a story and everything that I want to write in a story. Um, and I read that every year. <laughs> I read it once a year to stay fresh. And I also, when I was teaching at Carlo, I taught it in all of my classes too. And then I made them watch the movie. <laughs> and then we debated. <laughs> we had a debate every time. So, yeah, it's definitely my all-time favorite. Mm -hmm. um, what's the challenges of being like an editor of a horror genre? Because I find it really curious because when the editors are just like, this is not scary. Yeah, um, ed editing is tough, especially when you're editing your friends and your colleagues and people that you know. Um, I feel like how I started editing out, like how I would start teaching like in the manuscript is definitely not how I do it now um, because I do find that I teach more than I'm just like this works this doesn't maybe look at this again like I explain more I link to certain things like this scene is really great I think you could expand more have you seen the clip in this movie have you have you read this story and try to like expand that way and I do that a lot in poetry fiction's a little bit it's a little bit harder to do that because you're dealing with a longer manuscript um, but I think it's important to always praise what's being done well in addition to what needs to be worked on. Because I've had, I've had mentors, I've had editors that I've sent something in and they've only told me what is wrong with it and only told me what sucked. And to me, to me as a writer, that's not constructive because one, it hurts my pride and my ego and makes me sad and feel like I can't do things right. Like, I mean, legitimately, like on a very humane level, like it makes you feel bad and it's not giving you that like, yeah, I can go ahead and do this again. So it, like, it doesn't make you feel good. So like, to me, I think it's important. Yeah, you have to point those things out, but you also have to tell the person what they're doing well so they can build on that and either make, like get stronger at doing that or have that part of their manuscript inform the weaker parts. Like this is what you're doing well. If you look at it this way, you can do the same technique, but expand this way or expand that way. So I think having that balance of, of good and bad and um, also willing to go out and show examples or maybe be like, you know, you're writing in this, have you checked out these books, this might be, this might be greater. You know, you're really struggling in character development, have you read this craft book or have you done, and like, I think, I think editing is very comparable to teaching and I think the best editors are probably the best teachers and vice versa. <laughs> I'm going to call on people who haven't asked questions yet. It's sort of you. <laughs> I think Tiffany's one of them. Go ahead. Okay. Yes. Um, I was just wondering, like, what appeals to you in the fiction genre? Not your game. What appeals to you in the horror genre compared to like, other genres like romance and mystery and stuff like that? Horror, and I, I think I have this some, quoted somewhere. 
so if I say it wrong, don't hold it against me. <laughs> um, horror kind of lets, horror lets you make really terrible things beautiful, and nobody judges you for it. You can be very raw, you can be very visceral. Um, you have a lot more playing field and liberties to kind of go to places that in other genres they won't let you go, or you won't, or you can go there, but you won't sell anything. Horror kind of lets you breathe a little bit. Um, and like I said, like, I can show things in horror that are less than beautiful but will be celebrated because they're realistic, they're humane, they have a message that's applicable to things that are, you know, real world and, you know, things that are happening in society now. And they may not be the nicest, most rainbow, fluffy, you know, sunshine and <laughs> raindrop story that people want to get away from, but it's going to make you confront something that's happening and make you find a way to deal with it. And again, it all comes back to that element of survival. Um, I think horror, horror is all about confronting your monsters, whether they're real, whether they're imaginary. At some point, you have to open up that door and see what's behind it, and that's, that's how life is. So I feel like the horror genre lets me handle things realistically and fictionally that are applicable to everyday survival. If that, I mean, it sounds kind of cliche, but I, I also think it's, it's really true for the most part. That is true, right? You may have heard me say it, but I read it. It's probably why I've been saying it. Because <laughs> I'm probably just stealing from you. Uh, I read an article once by a feminist film <coughs> who was defending these stupid movies where women get chased around by knife wielding men, between knives and men. And she said, This actually teaches women how to survive when they're being stalked or attacked yeah. by men if they're alone in the house or something like that. It like, gives you survival strategies. So like in one movie, the stepfather, yeah. the young girl runs into the bathroom to hide from the killer, who's pounding on the door, like, oh, it's not going to shine. So <laughs> bad. But she shatters the mirror and fashions a knife out of it. And then times it so that the next time she pounds on the door, she opens it, gets him, runs, and gets wet. Yeah. I think that's an interesting and important point, that these things do drop. In fact, all genres do this, we just don't think about it. Yeah. Uh, all fiction teaches us life lessons. It's like, in a safe way. Mm -hmm. yeah. Alright, who hasn't spoken yet? Should I call on you? Will I call on you? You have another one? Okay. Is, your question, is your question, will Maria ask a question? Oh, jeez. <laughs> Snap. Yes. I'm watching films that I haven't seen yet. 
Um, you know, so like I'm still like, and again, I have to like loophole myself and say like, you're taking a break, you're not. You're studying something else, but you're, you're chilling out. It's cool. You can fall asleep, and no one's gonna yell at you. But like, yeah, there. Are, it, it is. It's you. You make time for it, and you force yourself to do it, even when you don't want to do it. And that's why I always have a big problem when people say that they have writer's block because I think that's a cop out to just not wanting to write. Um, and there have been plenty of times where I, don't get me wrong, I've sat in my chair and stared at my computer for three hours with a blinking cursor tormenting me to hell and back. But I'm still in the chair and I'm still working and I'm still trying. Even if I only get a paragraph that day, I've still done something further. Um, but yeah, it is, it's, it's challenging. It's absolutely challenging. Yeah, 
Yeah. 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 That makes me want to cry. Like, it's not even panic attacks. Like, I just physically can't handle it. Yeah, we've done that in class. We're more. Yes, they're fun. <laughs> but anyway, if any of you are interested in maybe just joining other writers to do creative work, mm -hmm. he's going to join other writers, write sit-ins, I believe, mm -hmm. in the learning columns and the comments in the big mm -hmm. classroom, uh, Monday nights, 4 to 4 to 6. Like I said, I mean, that's cool. Even if you don't finish it, you're still getting involved in a community and you're still producing work. And that's that's what's important as a writer, not whether it's, you know. All right. So I'm going to ask one question, I think. Yeah. And so I want to leave a little bit of time so people can browse your table and they don't want to your books or steal your postcards. So most people in this class, they're honor students or creative writing majors. So they're maybe smart. It's three folks in there. But, I mean, what advice would you have for them looking back that you haven't brought up yet? Is there anything uh, that you haven't brought up yet that you would just advise folks who are at this point in their career, or maybe at this point in the semester, coming uh, up on Thanksgiving break almost? Yeah. Point. <laughs> my, my best advice, and I mean, it's, I'm going to steal it from you because you said it to me, so I'm going to say it, is, <laughs> da -da, um, is to submit. Um, it's so, like, it's so scary, like, it's still, like, any time that I submit anything, even if I've already sold the book, like, let's even talk about, like, this is, like, the complex that it is, like, my book is sold, I've signed a contract, I'm good to go. When I send that final document, I stare at it for, like, a solid five minutes, and I'm like, yeah, is this it? Is this going to be okay? <laughs> like, it's still, it never, like, stops getting scary, but it's so important to submit. Um, even if you're not getting accepted, like, I, I think I submitted stuff for about two years, into my sophomore year, before I'd ever gotten anything. And I mean, I just felt like I was like, beat up and bruised and like, I had no shot, like my writing career wasn't gonna happen. Like, I mean, it was like, rejection is not fun, but it is part of the game. And you have to develop that thick skin and you have to get used to it, because it's gonna happen whether you're, you know, just starting out or whether you're a professional. Um, but you're not going to get published if you don't submit. Like you can't get accepted and have all the fun and all the champagne and excitement of like having a book contract if you're never submitting your work. So I think it's important when you have something, submit to Eye Contact, get involved in Eye Contact. I'm going to do the pitch now. Eye Contact was fantastic and instrumental when you know when I was at Seton Hill, um, and that teaches you all kinds. Of, I mean, that's teaching you editing, it's teaching you submitting, it's teaching you writing, how things are judged, what people are looking for. It's a good way to get into like the idea of how things are picked to be published. And then going online and finding different magazines and different you know, submission calls. Um, I mean, I'm not gonna assume that everybody's a horror writer in here, but like Duotrope is great, Dark Markets is great. They have like constant submission calls and try. And, so, and you know, not all the time, but most time, people will tell you like, this worked really well, maybe you should try this next time, or maybe focus on this. And then you know what you have to work on and next time you have a better shot at getting accepted. Plus people are seeing your name and they're recognizing you. Um, and that's a good thing too. So I mean, definitely, I mean, start submitting now. Start trying, like, start building your publishing portfolio. 
That is the perfect segue into our next unit coming up. It's like I've been studying for 10 years. <laughs> I've uh, already opened it up on Canvas if you're curious. Some of the websites you just mentioned are listed on this page. Uh, you'll have some future assignments to do with that. So I do encourage you to start. Uh, everybody, let's give it a round of applause. Thank you so much.